So I don't know how my jokes are going to play because I can't hear you if you laugh. So just like clap with your hands or something. All right, I'm just kidding. Um, guys, we're, we're here. We're doing it. We are having virtual large group. Will you turn that down because I can still hear it? Oh, there. it okay. Um, I, I don't know about you. I find myself like really thankful for this and really sad a little bit at the same time because I'm wishing we were together. And I know you are too. I know you're wishing that even though you never would have thought you would, you're wishing you were walking to the library from Hillel after after we meet and you won't get to tonight. But uh, I am really encouraged to see so many of you uh, on this call and uh, really encouraged by uh, the smiles and the looks and the ex ex exclamations of uh, friendship and love and joy. Uh, so excited to be joined by so many of our uh, illustrious, illustrious alums uh, who are locked in as well as some uh, you know, TPC youth group alums. I'm looking at you, C-Man. And uh, yeah, it is just a sweet time to, uh, to be together. So what we're going to do is we're going to continue the series that we have been in this semester on the questions of Jesus. And we're coming to uh, a story tonight in Matthew 26. This is uh, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night that he, on the night that he is betrayed at the beginning of the Passion of the Cross. And it's one of the most emotional stories in all of the Bible. And I, I'm finding that to be very appropriate because uh, if you are like me, then the past two weeks or so have been very emotional. They, they have been filled with all kinds of um, just weirdness and disruption and discouragement and sadness and grief and loss uh, and just the, the, the disorientation of having to adjust so much in our lives. So uh, I'm really excited to be, to be doing this. Just to give you a little context, uh, early in, earlier in Jesus' uh, Jesus life in Matthew 26, earlier in the same chapter, Jesus uh, does the, celebrates the Last Supper with his disciples. This is where he breaks the bread and pours the wine. It's the same night that he washes the disciples' feet. And then he goes out with them in Jerusalem to a garden in the Mount of Olives. Um, and right before the passage we're going to read is when he predicts that all of his disciples are going to fall away from him. And Peter says, Lord, I will go with you even to death. And Jesus says, actually, tonight, this very night, you're going to deny me three times. So it's right after that that we get to our text. So as you can see, it's up on your screen. Or if you want to read it in your Bible, it's Matthew 26, 36 to 46. But please read along with me. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so, so could you not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. This is God's word. It's absolutely true. He gives it to us because he loves us. Let's pray, and then uh, we'll jump in. Lord Jesus, thank you for this night, and thank you for uh, the way that we can be together. 
on our, on our computers. Thank you for the gift of technology that allows that. And Lord, uh, we really ask that um, you, would, you would be meeting us in the ways that we need tonight. And I pray that your spirit would be at work through your word so that we might love you more and love one another, even as we're apart. Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen. Okay. Um, I, I don't know about you guys, but for me, uh, something that has become a very stressful part of my life is going to the grocery store in the past few weeks. Uh, and if you go to the grocery store, even here in sleepy little Lexington, there is uh, going to be crowds of people and long lines and empty shelves. And if you go to, if you want to, if you want to buy bread, you're out of luck. You can't find any bread in the in the Kroger in Lexington, and you cannot trade your car in for an ounce of uh, hand sanitizer. And, and perhaps uh, more immediately concerning to me is the lack of toilet paper available. Um, I have I have been to the store a few times in the past two weeks, and every time I have gone, I've looked to see if there's more toilet paper, and I have not found any. But I went to Walmart first thing on Friday morning. And I went straight for the toilet paper aisle, and uh, to my to my astonishment, on this huge aisle, it's probably 50 feet long, big metal shelves, there were actually three small packs of toilet paper left. And so I go over, I'm you know I'm elated, I'm thankful, I'm relieved because like we're going to need this toilet paper here at some point, depending on you know how long this crisis lasts. And uh, I get there, and the shelves are about it's about five, four to five feet off the ground, so it's about chest level on me. And they're like six feet deep. It's a really deep shelf. And the idea is, you know, whatever they're right, right on the edge is what's immediately there. And the reserves are on the back and the, you know, the staff move it up. But there was no one moving it up and there was nothing available except for these packs. And I, you know, even with my wingspan, I couldn't, I couldn't get them. I couldn't reach them. And so I, I'm looking around wondering if I should, you know, ask someone for help. And then all of a sudden, before even realizing it, I'm, I'm scaling the shelf and I, I grabbed on and I, I hiked my leg over and I kind of army rolled onto the shelf and shimmied my way and got, and got the toilet paper and landed back down. And, and of course, like in the nine seconds it took me to do that, like six people from the other aisle had stopped and were just staring at me. And it was one of those moments where I was like, what is, like, what is happening in my heart? Why do I feel like it's the Hunger Games to get toilet paper? Like this is, this is insane. And, and I really think that what I was experiencing in that moment is this, is this sense of being uh, overwhelmed at the craziness of my life and overwhelmed thinking about the future, knowing that there's going to be loss and knowing that there's going to be sorrow. And, and, th- and that's a thing that, that you guys have been experiencing a lot in the past couple of weeks, the sense of being overwhelmed at our lives and overwhelmed looking forward and knowing that there's going to be loss and that there's going to be, and that there's going to be sorrow. And, and you're not alone. It's, it's the thing that uh, college students all over the country are, and all over the world are experiencing, the thing that, that really everybody's experiencing as the, the coronavirus you know, pandemic has spread around is that uh, everything in our life feels overwhelming all of a sudden. And as we look forward, we know there's things that we're going to miss and the things that we're going to lose. And so if you're you know, like us at WNL, it's, it's things like fancy dress. It's things like uh, spring break trips. It's things like interim, uh, spring term trips abroad. It's things like tubing on the Mari on lovely days in May. It's uh, all these questions we have of relationships that we're going to miss, the, the autonomy and independence that you had as students that you're going to miss as you're adjusting to life uh, back at home. There's, there's all these things in our lives that we've lost. We've lost control. And so it gives us that feeling of being overwhelmed and knowing that we're going to have things that, that we're going to lose. And in Matthew 26, that's exactly what Jesus is feeling. 
It's exactly what Jesus is feeling. He's totally overwhelmed with what he's feeling. His life is falling apart, and as he looks forward, he knows that he's going to endure things that are going to be really, really tough. He knows that he's going to be abandoned by all his best friends except for one who's going to betray him. He knows he's going to be arrested and mocked and beaten. He knows he's going to endure the physical pain of torture and death on a cross. And, and worse of all, he knows that he's going to endure the weight of the sins of mankind and the wrath and judgment of God. Like He knows these things are about to happen. And he's looking forward to that in this scene. That's the thing that, he's, that he has in, in, in front of him. And so as we look forward and as we, as we feel overwhelmed, I think there's actually a lot that we can learn, a lot we can be encouraged by and challenged in this, in this passage. So I want to look tonight just briefly at three things, okay? Uh, I want to look at what we learned from Jesus. I want to look at what we learned from the disciples. And I want to look at what's next, okay? So first, what do we learn from Jesus? And I want to talk, I want to talk about his posture and his perspective. His, his posture in this his story is a really incredible thing, and I mean that both in terms of his emotional and spiritual posture and, his, and even his physical posture. Uh, he's, he's really troubled in this scene, and this is one of the points where when you read the English Bible, it doesn't really do justice to the emotion of what's happening. Uh, in, in my Bible, it says this, and this is verses 37 and 38, he began to be sorrowful and troubled, and he told them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Uh, I read this today in the message by Eugene Peterson. Here's, here's how he translates it, okay? He says this, He plunged into agonizing sorrow. Then he said, This sorrow is crushing my life out. Which kind of captures the heart of what Jesus is feeling, knowing what he's about to endure. And from this place of sorrow and pain, Jesus assumes a posture of prayer. He literally falls down on his face and prays. As you have dealt with this feeling of being overwhelmed and of experiencing sorrow, what has been your first move? What's your posture been? What have you done with that? Has your posture been to be filled so much with frustration and anger that you, that you, compa- that you complain and blame? Has your posture been to just zone out on your phone all day? Has your posture been to distract with Netflix as much as you can? Has your posture been to, to numb the pain with, with food or with some kind of substance? What, like, what's your posture been? Jesus shows us that the right posture is actually to come to God in prayer and that there is a place that is safe enough for you to bring all of your anger and all of your disappointment and all of your sorrow. And it's the Father who is with us and who sees you and who knows you and who loves you that our first move in this kind of overwhelming moment should actually be to assume a posture of of prayer. The, the second thing I want to see is the, is the perspective of Jesus. And what I, what I mean here is the words that he says in these prayers. He says it three different times. It's only, recorded, it's only recorded twice. He says in verse 39, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And then he prays again after he finds the disciples asleep. He says in verse 42, Father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And then it says, after he found them asleep, the second time he prayed the same words again the third time. And I, and I want to be crystal clear. Jesus is praying that this thing that he's dreading, this sorrow and loss, he's praying that it would go away. But at the same time, he's praying that God's will, no matter what it is, will be done. And so what we see is that the perspective of Jesus is one of, of real grief, real honest grief, 
and at the same time, real trust in God, real grief and, and real trust. I, I love that Jesus doesn't try to put on a brave face, and I love that Jesus doesn't just smile and say, don't worry, everything's going to be okay because God is good. He actually uh, tells God with absolute honesty what he's dreading, what he's fearing, what he's sorrowful about. But he also proclaims with absolute trust that God's ways are good. And so I think the challenge for us is to ask, what would that kind of perspective look like for us in this season of life? What would it look like for you right now? Do you feel safe enough with God? Do you feel like he is trustworthy enough for you to come to him and be totally honest about your anger and about your sorrow and about your disappointment and about your confusion and about your fear? Or do you feel like you're supposed to sugarcoat it? You're supposed to smile if you're a Christian and say everything is just going to be fine. And then the second thing is, do we trust that God is good enough that his plans, no matter what they are, no matter why, even if we'll never know why, are actually good? Jesus trusts the Father because the Father is good. And the reason that we can say God has a plan that we think is good is not because we think everything will, will work out for us in some way, meaning that we'll be comfortable and safe, but it's because the one who is unfolding that plan is actually really, really good and really powerful. He's actually the only one who's worthy of that kind of trust. So we learn from Jesus to have this posture of prayer and to have this perspective of, of trust in God's plan uh, in a time when this is more important than ever because we all have plans that are out the window right now, don't we? We have plans for next week. We have plans for next month. We have plans for spring. We have plans for summer. And all of them are, I've been shaken. A lot of them have already been taken away. Jesus is facing a situation which is frankly far more catastrophic, far more sorrowful than ours. And he's willing to trust God's plan because God is so good. So that's what we learned from Jesus. Second, secondly tonight, what do we learn about the disciples? What we learn from the disciples? They, they don't come across in this story like pillars of the faith and church. They, they don't actually come across very good at all. And um, Jesus, he, he asked them to, to stay awake and pray with him. He goes off with his three best friends, that's Peter, James, and John, and he says, uh, stay, stay awake, watch with me, be with me while I stand over here and pray. And he comes back and he finds that they've fallen asleep because their eyelids are heavy. And so he asks them this question. I've been, we're, we're doing a series on questions, right? So here's the question that he asked them. Could you not watch with me one hour? And as I've, as I've said each week, that these questions reveal something about us. And what they reveal about the disciples here is actually not that great. And Jesus says it really plainly in verse 41. He says, Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And the temptation he's telling them to pray against is the temptation to fall away. This is what uh, earlier, right before this in Matthew 26, he said, You're going to fall away. You're going to deny me. He's saying, pray that you wouldn't be tempted to do that. And then he makes this comment, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The thing that we learn about the disciples is that good Christians who actually know and love God and trust him are still really, really weak. We're weak-willed and we're weak in faith. And even though we want to follow God, and even though we want to look at the world around us and all the crisis and all the ways our plans have been disrupted and say, I can have perfect faith and conviction and faithfulness and righteousness and I know all the right things and I can handle it and I never get flustered. We're, we're falling apart. And we're emotional in ways that we can't handle. I, I know I am. 
And part of what we learn from the disciples is to, to admit going into this kind of season of life when we face our fears that we're actually too weak to handle them on our own. And there's a version of Christianity that says if you have enough faith and you'll be able to handle everything. It's one of my least favorite things I hear Christians say that God will never give you more than you can handle because God actually will constantly give us more than we can handle because we are weak. And that's what we see in people like Peter, who's one of the great fathers of of the church. Now, this, this sense of being weak uh, would be bad news for us if it wasn't for what comes next. Because the good part is coming next, okay? We've learned from Jesus. We've learned from the disciples what comes next. What comes from the next is that Jesus gives himself up to a band of soldiers. And he's led away like a sheep being led to the slaughter. And he's put into prison and he's mocked and he's beaten He takes all the weight of your and my sin on himself. He endures the wrath and judgment and anger of the Father in heaven. He endures the physical pain of death on the cross so that you and me might not receive that weight. So you and me might not receive that judgment and that wrath. So you and me might receive forgiveness and life and joy and faith and hope and love and everything good that we long for and want. What comes next is the good news of the gospel. What comes next is that God abundantly provides grace and love for weak sinners through Jesus Christ. That's what comes next. And and I want to remind you tonight of what comes next for you. Because there's, there's some things that we don't know about, right? We, we don't know when the next time we'll get to meet in person is going to be. We don't know when the next time you'll be on campus is going to be. We don't know when the next time you'll get to go on a trip is going to be. We don't know next time you're going to go to a movie or a basketball game. There's so many things we don't know. But we actually know what's next for us. Scared though we are, weak though we are, sinful though we are, what's next for us is that God is going to abundantly provide for us grace and love through Jesus Christ. That's what's next for you and for me. And we know he's going to do it because that's what he always does. And we know he's going to do it because he's done it in our lives a thousand times. And we know that that's what he's going to do because he promises that he's going to work all things together for our good. That means when things are crazy in the whole world, he's going to work it together for good for his people. We know that he's going to do this because Jesus did not stay in the tomb. Because death is not the end of the story because he rose again. We know that this is what's next. In the midst of our our fear, in the midst of our unsettlement, in the midst of our discomfort, what's next for you and for me is that God is going to abundantly provide for us grace and love through Christ. And I pray that we would have eyes to see it. And I pray that we would be able to share the stories of the ways that in the midst of this kind of pain and inconvenience and discomfort, that we might see the ways that he's providing for us abundantly more than we ever could have asked for or imagined. I want you to remember what's next, next time you're feeling overwhelmed with sorrow. And I want to challenge you, and I want to challenge myself, I've been so convicted of this even today as I've I've reflected on this passage, to be the kind of people who can come to God honestly with our weakness, honestly, with the ways that our life is crazy, and to say, Lord, your will be done. Whatever your plan is, is so much better than anything I could, I could expect. 
uh, Christians, and, and, I, and I know I say this every week, I know not everyone who comes to RUF or who zooms into RUF is a, is a Christian. Uh, we don't have the, the kind of perspective that says, if I could have it my way. We have the kind of perspective that says, we want God's way, even if we can't ever understand it, because we trust that He is good and His ways are best. So let's come to Him. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we, uh, we come to you as weak sinners. We come to you knowing that we don't have what it takes right now. We come to you overwhelmed and filled with sorrow and fear. And we also come to you having already experienced all the ways that uh, you're going to provide and have provided in the past, already with glimpses of the ways you're providing for us now. Even this night, getting to see all these smiling faces on a screen is a way that you're providing for us. So please give us uh, hearts that love your will and that trust you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. What, what we're going to do next, guys, is we are going to practice this together right now. So we're going we're gonna to enter into a time of, of prayer together where we're going to try to be proclaiming what we've just read from Matthew 26, that uh, we trust God and that His will is good even though we are weak. And we're going to use Psalm 23 to help, to help lead us. So here's what's going to happen. I've, we've got four readers who are going to each read a part of Psalm 23. Uh, we'll read verse 1, and then we'll have a time where anyone can pray. And I would encourage you uh, if, to, to pray out loud, to unmute yourself and to pray, and then re-mute yourself. We'll, we'll read, we'll read the, verse, the first verse with the first reader. We'll have a few minutes uh, to pray. And our second reader will read verses 2 and 3. And again, we'll have a minute for you to unmute yourself and pray out loud. We'd love to be blessed by hearing you pray as you pray kind of for yourself but on behalf of all of us. And then uh, we'll read verse 4 and again have a few moments to pray. And then we'll read verses 5 and 6. So four different chances to pray as we read Psalm 23. So uh, I want to encourage you to, to lean into this time and to let yourself be uh, drawn into these words about God who is caring for us and providing for us everything we need, even when it doesn't feel like it, even though we feel like we might be in a valley of dark shadows. And, uh, and please uh, join in prayer so we can, we can be encouraged by one another. So I'm going to hand it to Emma, who's going to start with our time reading verse 1 of Psalm 23. Please pray. 